0: Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, where we aim to be as good at the human side of healthcare as we are at the clinical side of healthcare. My name is Chris Desmond. I'm a physiotherapist who's fascinated by how we can better help the person with the problem. Join us as we learn how to connect better, how to show up better, and how to understand our patients and ourselves better. Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast. This is the show where we're joined by experts to explore the human side of healthcare so we can better help the person with the problem. Today, I have Liam Caswell on. Liam is a nurse based in Sydney. He's a nurse unit manager turned leadership and career coach, and he's the founder of High Performance Nursing. He's got extensive international nursing experience across a range of different fields. I'm just having a look here, Liam, and, mate, lots of, lots of different areas. But in 2020, Liam launched High Performance Nursing to help clinicians sell their unique skill set when applying for nursing roles from graduates to directors of nursing. He helps clinicians transition into leadership with confidence and with less stress. And he's also proud host of the wildly popular podcast, High Performance Nursing as well. You should give it a listen if you're into uh, nursing or if you're into just healthcare stories because it's it's fantastic uh, because you can learn from global clinicians and explore how you can diversify your career and work on your inner self.
1: Liam, welcome to the show, mate. Chris, thank you so much. I always have a bit of a giggle when I hear people introduce uh, myself. It's always uh, a bit of a humbling moment. And of course, uh, describing the podcast is quite popular. It's probably an exaggeration.
0: Wildly popular well, in podcast, in nursing podcast circles, mate. Uh, I, I, weren't you on like a top 10 list of Australian was, nursing podcasts?
1: Yes, I was. I was on top 10. I think it was number seven. So I was super proud of that. Oh, yeah.
0: nice. Good work, mate. Good work. Liam, I always like to just kick things off by asking, why are you interested in the art of healthcare? Why are you interested in the humans?
1: I love, first and foremost, that you named the podcast The Art of Healthcare and the story that comes behind that. I think it's a beautiful portrayal of what we do day to day. I love art. <laughs> I love visual art. I love theater. I love, you know, seeing everything come together. And when you say the art of healthcare to me, that's what I envisage in health, and is that idea of you know multidisciplinary team nursing, medical patients, families, all coming together to achieve one goal in complete harmony. Of course, that is quite far from the reality, but that's the aspiration, right? That's the goal, and uh, so that's what comes up for me.
0: Nice, I, I like that, and I think there's for me as well. There's kind of a sense of fluidity and flow that happens with it as well, and and in that kind of artistic space and I, I, I think like obviously there's a massive science influence but I think the the science and the art kind of go hand in hand
1: yeah absolutely and, and like you say we're trying to get better at that right we're trying to elevate that human side of it so that we can have better uh, patient outcomes better staff outcomes better cultures but I don't mm.
0: get- definitely and uh, I'm really fascinating I, I, mean, I am quite fascinating, but I'm also very fascinated to try and explore like, the concept of high-performance nursing. What is, what is is high-performance within the nursing sphere?
1: That's a great question. Within the nursing, I think that we all strive to do an absolute best. I think if you pulled a group of nurses into a room and on a desk, generally define high performance nursing, it would be just us turning up every day and giving it a all and doing that, the job to the best of our abilities so that we can get great outcomes for our patients. I'm also in the process feel like we've achieved something for the people that we're serving. So for me, it's about that side of it, the patient and the delivery of care, but it's also about stepping into your best version of yourself. It's about elevating uh, your dreams and aspirations for your career and not Allowing the social programming that we go through within our kind of training and, and throughout our careers to take over um, and feed into that ego that tells us, you know, you can't do this. You can't do that. And, you know, the world is our oyster and, and moving internationally from Scotland to Sydney and walking Sydney, Canberra and Fiji has shown me that you can do anything. And I, I want to offer that to non as, as an opportunity for them to thrive within their career.
0: Hey. Because what do you, what do you see is not high performance nursing? So obviously this is this is something that you're really really passionate about, but you've seen it as that th- there's probably a problem that this needs to address, uh, because unfortunately, high performance doesn't happen every day or doesn't happen in every situation. So what are the like what are the challenges or what are the problems that your work with high performance nursing addresses?
1: Yeah. I think, uh, first and foremost, it's about doing inner work as a clinician and doing that inner mindset, a deep personal work to be able to get to know yourself a bit better. I think that's one of the key fundamental missing parts in uh, a lot of nursing clinicians, myself included. I, I went through that process whereby I came into nursing because I love caring for people, but I got to a point where I stopped kind of caring for myself. And I was just give, give, give all the time. And that's not sustainable over the long term, especially as you try to step into your higher version of yourself and you move forward in your career. You you trip yourself up. You get to a point where you know everything just says stop. You can't move forward. So I think the inner work is one of the challenges that we're facing in Nursing that prevents us from being high performers. And in the moment, of course, it's so hard to stop and take a moment of reflection when you've got six patients, you know, the allied health are coming to take patients to the gym and the doctors doing their rounds and there's so much happening. It's so moment. it's so hard to find a moment of calm in that, to be able to then reflect and process your thoughts and do all of the the mindset stuff that you might need to do during your work day. So that's one thing. The other side of that is culture is about, you know, us elevating the culture of healthcare and nursing. There's a, there's a real systemic problem in healthcare, nursing specifically around how we treat each other and how we show up to work each day and how we manage the pressures of the day-to-day work. Currently in the COVID pandemic, this is uh, it's an ongoing thing that we're seeing in the news about nurses that are working really, really hard. They're working 12, 14 hour days. Some nurses have been told, mandated that they have to work 12, 14 hour days. And that takes its toll, right? And and that fosters this culture Low performance, ultimately, because we can thrive. We cannot thrive at um, that that high level of pressure, fight or flight, for prolonged periods of time.
0: Mm. Definitely, and I, I definitely don't envy the people working in the public healthcare systems at the moment. That's uh, it's a massive challenge that that you guys have been bearing the brunt of for the last. What 18, 18 plus months now? I wanna I wanna look back around to the to the inner work, Liam, and I think that's it's a massively important topic that we don't really talk about that much. Where we're all about kind of learning new clinical skills and thinking about high performances as what can we what can we do from a clinical perspective okay now i can i know how to put these lines in or i know how to do these different types of dressings or as a physiotherapist i know how to do this manual technique and that is is often how we talk, think about and how we are taught to think about high performance as well Is the the more clinical skills we have the better we perform mm. which Clinical skills are helpful, and if you don't have them, then it does impact your ability to perform at a high level. But I noticed that probably it's it's probably been a journey of I'm about to turn 38, or actually when this podcast comes out, I will have turned 38. So it's probably over the last sort of eight or 10 years or so that I have done a whole lot more inner work on myself. And I've been finding that actually, for the most part, my performance has improved much more than doing the work on learning a new clinical skill set as well.
1: Mm, yeah. And
0: I think that's that's not something that we're particularly taught through our undergraduate degrees. Although I was having a really awesome conversation with last week's podcast guest, Claire Killingback, who's setting up a new physiotherapy program at the University of Hull, all about teaching her students to understand the philosophy of, of how they want to practice and putting in resilience strategies within their practice to start with. So I think that the future is bright, but for, for those of us who are kind of currently sitting within this area and really maybe have thought about the concept of doing some inner work or Maybe even haven't they're, they're maybe in the pre-contemplative stage of of doing this and and understanding actually this this is beneficial for me.
1: Where might someone like that start? Mm. Well, I love that you bring up the fact that we we become awesome clinicians, but do we develop as individuals? Do we find our identity as a clinician? Do you know, I think we we definitely skip that part. And for me, climbing the ladder, climbing my career, I was an ICU nurse. So, you know, we wanted all the skills. And it was all about those, you know, badges like I've got my filtration skill set. I can do the ventilation. I can, you know, intubate somebody now with the anesthetist. Not once did anybody stop and say, like, are you okay? How are you processing all of this? Like, tell us about how you you manage all of the, the trauma that you see day to day in this environment. So I think For me, the the best thing that I've ever done was, well, two things, seek out a coach. Uh, I worked with a coach and started doing some mungs at work uh, and really becoming the observer of uh, my thoughts. I have a very loud critic uh, and I think most clinicians probably do uh, because we strive for the best always and we have those unrelenting standards. But also we have that self-sacrifice, right? We always wanna give, give, give. And we don't like really taking back. That's where we see teams and nurses saying, oh, I have been to break for like you know, eight hours today because we've self-sacrificed and we've given when we should have just taken some time to recognize that we need to go for a break because we'll perform better. And I think our allied health colleagues, I think you got to do that much better than we do. Um, in terms of drawing the line and saying, no, I need to go and do this right now. The second thing that I have done is work with the psychologist. And I think that more people need to talk about that. I think that there's still stigma around seeking psycho- psychological support, but it's been one of the best things I've ever done. And it's allowed me to really step back and, and see that I, I am 100% complete, but I'm also 100% responsible for, you know, my thoughts, my actions, my feelings, and and how I want to show up in the world. Like I have a choice. We all have a choice to learn that every day. Mm.
0: If you don't mind me asking Liam, what precipitated you seeking uh, the support from the psychologist? Was it from a performance uh, perspective or was there something else that was? It was during,
1: I I was working as a, a nurse educator, actually. And I was a bit overwhelmed with uh, continuing my master's and then again, trying to get more technical skills and and really had parked everything else on the back bench. You know, the things that bring me joy, the things that bring me happiness, I were all parked. I got to a point where I just really felt disconnected from the work. And I think a trigger point was feedback. I wasn't very good at that point at receiving feedback. And I got some feedback that I thought was unfair and that just kind of triggered like an episode of bar night for me, because it kind of felt like, well, what can I, like, what, what next? And like, what do I do? Like, if I can't do this, you know, and that inner ego and credit came right through and was saying real nasty things to me. And I, I needed to process that because I was at a point in my career where I loved being a leader, I loved being a manager, but I had not focused on how I show up every day, how I manage those really difficult situations, how I react in moments of stress and worry, um, and fear and anxiety, and and for me, that was a pivotable, pivot. That was, (laughs) that was a moment, (laughs) I'm having a neurological event, that was a moment.
0: (laughs) There was a moment where I had to pivot,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to use the physio analogy there, but no, it was, it was hard. Like it's a really tough time. It's really struggling, but I sought out the help, and it's the best thing I've ever done.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. is really, really valuable, I think, for a lot of health professionals because a lot of us do struggle and a lot of us do struggle with our physical health and with our mental health uh, and our emotional and spiritual health because of a lot of the stuff that that you talk about. Talked about then the the systemic pressures that we're under, the fact that most of us are givers and we want to just keep giving and giving and giving, and also the the fact that we we haven't been taught how to look after ourselves within this healthcare system that we that we're working within as well as that are not skills that have been that have been developed or have been talked about, and they're not skills that are particularly modelled well for us as well so it's it's no wonder that we have such high rates of of burnout and mental health challenges but i think a lot of healthcare professionals push them push them down until they hit a breaking point is that i have to keep going i have to keep giving i'm supposed to be the healer here i can't I, i can't display display weakness and someone that I was talking to last year, I think from a, like a leadership perspective, I just remember the quote that she said is that we lead others to where we are. Mm. And I think if you're, if you're operating in a leader as a leader and you're really struggling, then everyone else that, that's following you is going to, is going to start heading that way slowly as well.
1: Mm-hmm. It's so detrimental to the whole team. And I think that's why it starts with you as the leader. It starts with you from the inside out. But often what we do instead is we put everything external. We put it all, you know, in the things that we can do. we worry and stress and blame others and victimize and you know, shame and guilt. All of that stuff comes up when we're in that mode. So that's a good indicator that somebody is in that space, right? That they're, they're leaning into that and And they're they're not just looking internally and just saying, "Well why am I feeling like this? Like you know I have a choice here as to whether or not I choose like I choose to feel like this or I choose to react or I choose to blame. you We have a choice at that point, and the impact is huge. you know in that first episode of Baron well, was my second episode of Baronite, there, I left that role and did some in in a work and mindset work and then went into a new role, and it was like night and day. I still had some of those challenges. Of course they come up every day, right? You don't get rid of them, which is unfortunate, but they came up every day and I was just able to walk through them. And I, I remember specifically having one day as an as arm, as an assistant manager, and it was a day from hell. And I had six complaints in one day. I uh, had, you know, family complaints, complaints about the team, complaints about the multidisciplinary team, complaints about the cleaning, everything that could come through the door came through the door on the one day. And I also got a human rights complaint and a um complaint from the executive uh director. Do you know, with a timestamp on it, Liam, it needs to be done by this time. Like you need to deal with this today. <laughs> oh and I had a relative come in and like rant at me for two hours. It was full and you know, the there was there were team members that were amazing, and they they came in and they touched base, and you know, they provided us support, could see that I was you know I was trying my best, but in that moment I, I I needed to kind of let that go, and I needed to have a bit of vulnerability as a Dad. I needed to cry ultimately, and I think again that's something that not a lot of people talk about. And I I did you know cry in front of my assistant director mostly. Yeah, like we're not taught soft skills. We're not taught soft skills to manage that. And I left that feeling like incomplete, like I'd done something wrong. And that was the story I was running, which I know is not true, but it's just fascinating, isn't it? We care so much for other people. We just like so loving and caring towards our patients and their families. But when it comes to colleagues, there's a wall up. Uh, It's like, we don't want to cross that barrier. I don't know what it is. I would love, it's, it's kind of my life's work to help us just be nice to each other and support each other, especially in nursing where it is high pressure and the stakes are high, but we can still support each other.
0: Mm. Definitely. And I think, um,
1: there's been a couple of
0: conversations actually about crying recently that I've, that I've had. And I think it's, it's very therapeutic to go away and have a cry sometimes. And I guess if, if one of your colleagues is crying, with you rather than actually just kind of walking away or ignoring them or making some snide remark, give them a hug. Yeah. That's, that's the best thing that you can do for this person who is finding it tough at the moment.
1: It's, you're, you're so right. On that day, one of my graduate nurses, brand new graduate nurse, happened to see me. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm the leader. I need to, you know, lead by example. But I also very much buy into vulnerability, you know, as you said, Joel, as, as being leader, obviously there's a fine line, you know, if you're crying, if you did, I don't know. But you know, she just came up to me and said, Hey, let's have a hug. And it was just the best thing in that moment. That's what I needed. And I felt a little bit guilty because she was a graduate and she probably didn't need to see that until one of my role modeling, but you know, it's what it is. Yeah, and I think
0: I think as a as a leader that helps, and you probably don't want to do it strategically, but it helps create a sense of psychological safety for your team as well, so that they can be open with some of the challenges that they're facing because if if they feel safe coming to you as a leader, then you're able to help them with those challenges and maybe set up some some better systems or some better practices to address those problems before they reach breaking point
1: mm, absolutely I, I think it role models that that vulnerability and that ability to, for you as a leader to to open up and and to recognize that you're human often we you know we think of the senior we think of the, the manager the leader is like superhuman that's you know doing x y and z but ultimately and uh, we all go home and think what was the team stress season and we want to come and do the best that we can
0: yeah and we've probably all got that inner critic sitting on our shoulder as well saying yeah, just being a real dick <laughs> telling us that we're not good enough and that we should be doing more
1: yeah absolutely
0: Liam you're you're really passionate about helping nurses progress in their career as well and step into these into these leadership roles in a in a safe sustainable confident manner as well like what what lights you up about that
1: i reflecting back on helping my foster peer colleague land her promotion just was a pure moment of joy because Not only was I able to help and influence and positively influence her career, but it always felt like the first time that she actually saw herself and that she was able to step into, you know, being the the amazing professional that she, she could always be, but we all have those inner blocks. Right. And I guess the power of coaching for me has been having someone else, an impartial person, a neutral person, uh, looking from afar and just kind of like pulling you back into line a little bit. Let's see. Well, is that true, or is that the story that you're telling yourself? And helping people walk through that and see that those inner narratives, you know, don't always serve us, and they're not always factual. I, I find joy in just helping people see their potential. It's what lights me up, and I think it's something that I've just naturally been drawn to. And when I'm in that space, you know, getting to know ourselves, and when I'm in that space, I just feel aligned. I feel like that's my role. I'm. I'm a nurse for nurses, like I always feel like I'm the nurse, the nurses for and, nurses and cares for them and helps them progress within their careers, but they deserve it. They work bloody hard. They work so hard. And like I said earlier, the system will stop you if you let it, the system will stop you. The people, if you let the external stuff stop you, it will a hundred percent. And there's no reason to stop there.
0: And I think uh, I'm just reminded of what we tell our patients as well is that we we know that the people who are going to get probably have worse outcomes are the ones that externalize and blame external uh external things for the health problems that they're having and we know the ones that do better are the ones that take ownership of their situation and seek help and seek support to make positive healthy change as well, mm-hmm. well but we forget about that sometimes within our careers too.
1: I'm
0: really, I'm really fascinated, Liam. Like you, you work with uh, a lot of people stepping into a leadership role. What are some of the common blocks that you see and hear coming up for for nurses, especially?
1: A lot of it is the inner critic. A lot of the work is around ego and managing the ego and being able to recognise when. Uh, that story is not true <laughs> and it's not factual. So we do a lot of work through that whereby, you know, we'll, we'll maybe write it down, write down the story that we're telling ourselves and just download all of our thoughts. I uh, jot it down on a bit of paper. And then I love to just look at that, um, objectively and think, well, is this fact? Is this factual or have we just made this up You know? Is this something that we've just uh, come up with in the moment? So mindset is one of the key things that people tend to struggle with, but also in nursing, in general, it's selling themselves. It's being able to positively talk about the work that they've done and all of the great things that they've achieved in their career. So I spend a lot of time being kind of strategic with people in terms of building their their self-worth, their self-confidence, but also their ability to see what they've achieved and how that's going to serve them moving forwards. And finally, I would say that a lot of people get caught up in the how. They get caught up in how am I going to get there? Like I've never done this before. So how can I possibly lead a team of 50 people? And so I, I work with people through that to identify that, a newsflash no one has a potential for and we, we have to step into that, right? But it's about having the insight and the awareness. And the mindset to be able to tackle that, and I love love Renee Brown's work, and she always talks about and you know, being a being a learner, not a knower. And I think that's one of the, the key things as a leader is to step into that learning mode, curious mode, which is quite challenging because everybody expects us to be the knower, or at least we think that when we're in that position, we think that everybody. Thinks that we should know everything, but in fact, we just need to approach it with curiosity and openness, and draw upon the strengths of all the fifty people that we have working for, like with us.
0: Definitely, yeah, and it, I think it's um, Carol Dweck's work as well around growth and fixed mindsets. And yeah, yeah I guess we, as we step into a leader, we we almost kind of adopt a fixed mindset of I should know this already. I should be have a handle on everything, which allows no opportunity for growth.
1: Immediate block, immediate block. And you see it all the time, but you see it all the time. But also because there's no support there, because when we grow as a clinician, we then get to the point where we're like, hey, you're a great clinician, Chris. Have you thought about leadership? It's such a funny you know, a conversation to have because as you move into that leadership, it's a totally different game and uh, you need a totally different skill set. And unfortunately, like you said earlier, there's not a lot of people role modeling how to do it well.
0: Yeah, yeah, and our our great clinical skill set doesn't always translate over into a leadership skill set as well. But sometimes that feels like the logical next step as part of our career is that we step into a leadership role because we're we're doing great as a clinician. So Mm -hmm. obviously I'm a good clinician. I can go and lead a whole lot of people to be good clinicians as well.
1: And I think a lot of people then turn to, oh, I need to do another degree. I need to go and do a a master's. I need to go and do this. And we need to collect all the certificates, as I like to talk about. And I am definitely a certificate collector. (laughs) But we go out and we try and gather all of that and then put it into practice. What I found, I did my Master's of Healthcare Leadership and Management, and it gave me the the foundations and the theory to implement in practice, but it didn't give me the practical component, of course. It was very heavily theoretical, and I still think that is the biggest uh, missing link In training for leaders is, you know, that's all well and good, but how do you do it on the floor? How do you do it on the floor when you've got six complaints coming in? And, you know, four admissions and two staff that are phoned in sick and, you know, a human rights complaint.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, I've done my master's of management as well. And I I think, again, it it doesn't give you that, that how to do it in, in practice, but I think it gave me a greater appreciation of the shades of gray that sit within the daily decisions that you, that you make as a leader and how, how you're weighing, weighing up different, different factors and different kind of pulls on, on resources as well. It mm. doesn't give you the answers, but it, it, it hopefully helps you look at things from a slightly broader angle and probably made me a better clinician mm. as well. Mm. Yeah. 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 Liam, I, I want to I look back actually to, to the blocks that people have. Uh, do you have an example of of a story that someone might be telling themselves why they wouldn't stick their hand up and for a leadership position, or even kind of kind of step into an informal leadership position within the team?
1: Yeah, I've worked with so many clinicians or some nurses who have this block and the story that they're telling themselves is, I've, "I'm a great clinician, uh, but I can't do what he or she is doing." I can't do that. I don't have the skill set to be able to do that. And so that just becomes such a loud voice and loud narrative that they just keep repeating and telling themselves. And I've worked with a few, specifically in my last role, amazing clinicians. One of them had uh, 30, 35 years as a clinician. And it's been 35 years at the age you know, in, in Australia. We have level one, level two, level three. So level one is kind of where you start off. And then you, you move up as you desire and she was sitting in the senior level one position and had been sitting there for decades. And I, I was working with her and, and I said, why is it that you, you know, do you want to progress or oh, I can, but I can't do it. And she was doing it every day anyway. She was walking through it. She was leading the team. She was killer. She was on it. She built great culture. The staff loved her. The patients loved her. And, you know, I just worked with her, coached her and we worked through that and I think the big fear for a lot of nurses comes down to the application, you know, we, a lot of people aren't very good at putting what they do on paper, myself included, it's a skill that I've developed. So people aren't, you know, that confident in articulating, you know, day to day, what they do, and then really selling themselves on the paper for, for, for the team that's reviewing that application. So that's a common one that comes up is that, whole? I don't think I can do this. I've never done it before. I'll just stay in my comfort zone. I don't want to tip my toe out of the the comfort zone and then, you know, push my boundaries. And they kind of very much get stuck there. But the risk is, and this is kind of what I, you know, tell people is when you're sitting there and you're so good at what you do, you become stagnant and you're more likely to cut corners. You're more likely to take risks. And because you can do it with your eyes closed, you know, think about driving a car, you know, wait, like you don't think consciously about driving a car. And when you're really good at it, you just do it and you, know, you might you know, not look in your mirrors and so on and so forth. I don't do that if you're listening, look at your mirrors. But ultimately, it's the same in, in healthcare, right? You become that expert clinician, you're riding the wave and you're there and, and it's time to shake it up a little bit. I think it's time to shake it up a little bit and challenge yourself.
0: I completely agree with that. Liam, if someone is, is kind of thinking, okay, I want, to, I want to figure out how to sell myself better is there an, an exercise that you use with people to, to kind of help them start to begin to value their expertise?
1: Mm, that's a good question. I, uh, one that i love to go to, which is more business, but I love just breaking it down into a sport, uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Do you know, having a look at what are your strengths? What do you do really well? What do people around you say that you do really, really well? And, and go and see, actively seek that feedback. Cause as clinicians were also really, really bad at asking people for feedback, mm. do You know, if you work with somebody for the day? You should say like, how did you find me? Like, you know, how did you find working with me today? Like, is there anything I can do better? Anything I can do differently? What did you love about it? What did, what didn't you love? And um, so I think that's our key point is seeking feedback. So looking at strengths, looking at areas for learning, uh, I don't love the word weakness, but looking at the areas for growth and opportunity. And really, you know, looking at the threats is interesting because often the threat is just our mind. Often the threat is our mind. It's nothing external, nothing terrible is going to happen when you put in that application for the senior position. <laughs> it's, it's just the story that you're telling yourself ultimately. And so we work through all of those things. And then I think sometimes it's kind of uh, really rewarding to be able to see it on paper and to get that feedback from other people to then step into that and go, do you know what, I've actually got this. I have everything that I need to be able to do this. The other thing that I use is just frameworks. So in the interview, it's using frameworks to sell yourself, do you know, the worst thing you can do in an interview is come in without doing your work, preparing, and then adopting some form of response framework like STAR you know, situation, task, action, because it just presents you, one, as a professional, and two, gives you the confidence. We love those, those frameworks. Like we have ISBAR. I don't know if you use ISBOR. Yeah. Um, you know, we have ABCD ESAs, and we have Doctors ABC. We love that stuff in healthcare. So why not use it when you go, you know, for your interview and use the store to your advantage?
0: Yeah, exactly. But it's not healthcare. So I can't use the same skills. um that's really interesting and and i think we're 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 often really bad at kind of judging our strengths we see our weaknesses males are probably slightly better than females at looking at our looking at our strengths we I, i heard an interesting story about someone that i knew going skiing and they were him and his wife were getting learner lessons and They went down and the instructor said, on a scale of one to five, how would you rate yourself as as a skier? And he said three and she said three as well. And they, they skied off. And the wife said to the instructor, they were like, Pete's actually only been skiing like once or twice. So I don't know if he is a three. And then the instructor just turned to her and said, don't worry. All the males? We drop down one point and all the females we put up one point. <laughs> oh,
1: no, no, that's brilliant. It's so true. It's so true. It,
0: it is. It is. And I think that's they're, they're really, really helpful in terms of looking at how we can value ourselves. And I think that that seeking external feedback as well is, is really important because people are going to give you objective feedback that isn't filtered through a nasty inner critic on your shoulder saying, actually, you're not really that good. What you did there wasn't that cool. That master's of management, you kind of fluked that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it it amazes me how many people don't actively seek feedback. I work a lot, you know, I still work clinically and I work as a clinical facilitator for universities. university. So I go in and and work with students on placement. I find it amazing. They'll go days without asking for feedback. I'm like, how do you know you're growing? How do you know you're evolving and developing as a clinician if you're not getting any feedback? And they're like, oh, well, they, they don't offer it. <laughs> well, no one is going to just walk up to you and give you feedback positive feedback. You must step into that and ask for it and get into the habit of doing it. Because when you do down the line, maybe get feedback is you know, isn't as positive, you will receive that better if you're used to receiving feedback as well. Not only will the positive feedback lift you up, elevate your practice. But when it might not, you know, if we make a mistake and something happens then you can take that on board as a long opportunity rather than that immediate fight or flight, you know, armors on and like, oh, Liam, the, you know, can you come into the, the office, the dreaded, you know, have you got a minute to come into the office? And the staff just looks like they're shitting them scuttles. and you're like, calm down. It's all good. Like, we're just having a chat. It's fine. That's <laughs> fine.
0: Yeah, ex- exactly, mate, exactly. For those people who are thinking, actually, maybe maybe leadership is for me, or maybe, maybe leadership is for me sometime soon, if going away from this conversation that we've just had, what should they do to start with, other than get you as a coach?
1: <laughs> well, number one, I think, you know, it's a it's a strategic game. Like I see it as strategy. I see moving into leadership. You do have to be strategic. Uh, you need to start planning out what it is that you need to do to be able to get that that uh, goal. You know, to work towards that goal and take those steps. And often, you know, in I think this will be across the board for most clinicians. It's about demonstrating leadership in the workplace. So starting to take those leadership roles as you can. And uh, maybe be a team leader maybe manage the meeting or something, manage something small to start with. Maybe do it on night shift, uh, so that there's less pressure and maybe less nothing and family to talk to. So do that as a first step, uh, start seeking feedback from your peers uh, and express it. express that that's something that you want to do. Go talk to your manager and tell them, see, this is what I think I'm, I'm, I'm interested in doing today. What do you think I need to do to get there? And seek that feedback from from broader team. Because you just never know what might happen. I mean, I did that once. I did that when I was an educator. And I just happened to have coffee with my my boss and we were talking through a plan. And at the end of it, I said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I'm um, I'm really keen to step into leadership and to grow that skill set. And she said, awesome. I think, Jana, you know, you'd be great at that. I said, awesome. Great. Let me know when it comes up, if anything comes up. Literally two days later, one of the managers, I needed to take some leave. at short notice and I was thrown into the mix for three months as the manager <laughs> with like less than 48 hours. So I think sometimes we underestimate just verbalizing that that's something that we want to do. And also by putting an ad into the world, we then kind of have to take action. that <laughs> helps, helps you move forward because you're not skipping it up here and you've told people and um, so therefore you've got to follow it through if it
0: Awesome advice, Liam.
1: Liam, mate, if people are
0: interested in finding out more about stuff that you do, where can they connect with you? Where can they go to do that?
1: I I am on every platform, but predominantly on Facebook at High Performance Nursing, I'm on Instagram at High Performance Nursing as well, and we can, you know, drop the links or like an email, Mm -hmm. gmail.com. But yeah, you know, you'll find me. I'm on the internet. I'm out there. If if I'm on LinkedIn, I'm of course, if you're a a professional looking for leadership roles, you need to be on LinkedIn and, and doing that well. But yeah, I'm all over, all over the place.
0: Liam, thank you so much for joining me tonight, mate. It's been a pleasure to have a chat with you.
1: Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for the opportunity.
0: That is a wrap. Thanks everyone for tuning into the show. If you've enjoyed it, then make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of the weekly episodes. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is to share this out with a mate that you reckon might enjoy it And if you want to enhance your skills in this area even more, then watch out for the Art of Healthcare community coming in 2021. It's a truly interdisciplinary space for us to upskill our art. If you want a sneak peek for more info, head over to artofhealthcare.mn.co. That's artofhealthcare.mn.co. And a couple of quick thank yous. First of all, thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you to you guys for joining me as we look to improve our art.